we have to learn to accept the kindness of strangers. There are good people in the world, really good people. And when we allow them to come forth and care for us, they show up in big ways. Hi ladies, we are Andrea and Carol coming at you from the International Women's Association in Graz, Austria. We are women supporting women in all stages and seasons of life and from different parts of the world. Our members come from different backgrounds and life experiences, and we are excited to share them here with you. For more information, we invite you to check us out on our website at iwagraz.org. Und jetzt, los geht's! Listeners, welcome to our today's episode. And this one is closely connected to our last one. If you haven't listened to our last episode yet, what are you waiting for? <laughs> Go to our website. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. IWAGRATS.org. Get out there and listen to it. What are you waiting for? <laughs> yeah. Speaking about the last episode, in the last episode, my co-host Carol, she took us through this exercise of choosing our word mm -hmm. for the year. Yep. It was really an amazing exercise and the episode, I'm not so objective, but it was really <laughs> interesting. Yeah, I was going to say, you kind of have a little bit of a biased opinion. Yeah, there. but <laughs> what can you do? Um, you can listen to yourself and decide. There you go. Good point. But we we did, have good feedback though yeah I, i just wanted to say that we got really amazing feedback in our facebook group the, from our members but also from our friends yes really really positive things and for me personally it was really interesting to to hear other people's words but also to hear the whole process of getting to their word yep and yeah it, it's really interesting to hear how other people think and what did they choose for themselves that's my favorite part too i listening to some of the words that people have been sharing with us and then of course these aha moments that everyone's getting when they either look up the definition of the word they think is going to be their word for the year um it's been really really cool and impactful so i'm so glad that our folks our listeners out there have enjoyed it Yeah, and uh, I want to thank everyone who listened and uh, for, for commenting, for interacting with us, for sharing your process and your words, for sharing the podcast and everything. Yeah, I, I really appreciate it. Also, Carol, do you want to add something? No, you said it all. That covers it. Definitely very thankful. Okay, and how is this episode connected to the last one? Well... As we were first doing that exercise, Carol and I, uh, she shared a story, maybe more like an example, maybe a little bit extreme example, <laughs> <laughs> but inspiring and share-worthy story about how her word took her on a very, very special journey. Yeah. So Carol, would you please tell us what was your word? What year was it and what was the journey? Where did you go? Sure. So 
Uh, it was actually my word in 2017. And that year I had, at the end of 2016, I should say, at the end of 2016, I went through a number of changes with my job and personally. And so 2017, when I sat down to do the process that we walked through in our last podcast episode, uh, there were many things that I had written about what I needed, um, what I had to let go of, and what was getting in my way. And that year, my word wound up being follow. And there were a number of examples where I ended up living this word out. But one of the biggest examples would be that I went on a journey to walk the Camino de Santiago in Spain, which is also known in German as Jakobsweg. So my word took me all the way from my tiny little city. Well, it's not a tiny little city, but my, <laughs> my city of Philadelphia, or at the time I was living in Maryland. Well, I'm getting off base. Anyway, it took me all the way to Spain and took me on a 800 kilometer pilgrimage walking through the northwestern coast of Spain, which was unbelievable. So, and I am grateful that you wanted to hear more about it, Andrea, and that I get to share it with our listeners, just as, again, a way to further, what's the word I want to use? Not enforce, but further give an example of how a word can really impact your year and what it can do for you when you let it. So this is my example of how my word played out in 2017. And I'm glad we can have this conversation because I think it can be useful and I find the story really, really interesting. And thank you for like joining and sharing sure. your story. So hopefully our listeners find it interesting too. Yeah, we know there's a couple episodes that are kind of iffy and then there's some really good ones. So maybe this will be an iffy episode, but it's all good. We're rocking and rolling with it. Stay with us. <laughs> So, Carol, when you say your word took you on a journey, what exactly do you mean? Did you travel alone? And how did you decide to go? Good question, Andrea. Um, so I'll just put out there to begin to start with that I am a person of faith. So my faith is an important part of my life. And that is ultimately what led me to my journey and called me to follow, if you will, that year. Uh, and take myself over to Spain. And I, I chose this after, I chose to go after spending a great deal of quiet time in reflection and prayer. And then of course, talking with friends and family members. I had been through a number of changes, both personally and professionally. And I felt that it was a calling I had to follow, quote unquote. So um, the Camino de Santiago is a pilgrimage which is basically a network of journeys or ways, if you will, that lead to the shrine of the Apostle of St. James the Great in the cathedral in Santiago, Spain. And a pilgrimage is just basically that. It's, it's, a, it's a journey from, from a place of origin, ultimately taking you to perhaps a sacred space, a sacred location. And a pilgrim, which is the person who journeys, uh, is just that, someone who makes that journey over a period of time and location and distance, um, you know, from one location to another. So, 
Yeah, that was that was the start of it. I chose my word follow in January and I booked my tickets for my trip in June. I went by myself and I started my journey in August of 2017. So from the technical point of view, uh, what did you do actually to prepare? What exactly did you bring with yourself? Because I believe you couldn't go with two suitcases or something. <laughs> No, not quite. <laughs> no, the um, the logistical part of things was really interesting. So I had learned about the Camino. I was not familiar with it before. Uh, and a friend of mine had brought it up and it originally started as a plan to go with a group of my friends. And we were planning to just walk the last 100 kilometers from a point in Sadia all the way to Santiago. And this is the time or not the time, the distance that you need to travel if you wish to have what is called a Compostela at the end, which is basically a certificate confirming you completed the Camino in some way. So it started out as a group planned activity and a trip that we were all going to make. And then of course, little by little, people started falling off and dwindling, but it continued to come up as something that I really felt strongly that I had to do. So logistically, I started preparing by reading a lot of materials about it. Blogs, books, newsletters, websites. There are pilgrim websites out there. There are websites almost in several countries throughout Europe and definitely in America where there are Camino groups that exist for the sole purpose of supporting pilgrims who choose to make the journey. So I looked at the American pilgrims group for the Camino and what they suggested. And I watched a lot of YouTube videos. There are plenty of people out there who document their trip on the Camino. So I picked a couple out of, you know, thousands and just started watching them. And yeah, did a lot of research on the guidebooks as well. So when you plan to walk the Camino, any of the routes, they have what is called a guidebook that's out there available to you that will essentially give you the direction of the Camino, of the path that you should follow, and gives you a list of albergues, which are basically hostels that you can sleep in while you're traveling, restaurants and cafes along the route, uh, places where you know you can get safe drinking water, things like that. So the guidebook is really your be-all, end-all map that you need to be able to start and finish. How did your family and friends react when you told them, I'm, <laughs> I'm going heading... home on this six-week trip all yeah. across the Atlantic? Yeah, can you imagine how you would react to one of your family members? Yeah, <laughs> that's why I'm asking. <laughs> Um, there was a lot of shock and fear, uh, concern, but certainly support as well. My family supported me from the very first minute, but they didn't understand why I needed to go and walk 500 miles across a country that I didn't know, didn't speak the language and by myself, no less. Um, to do this, they, they couldn't understand it. So, and it was hard for me because I didn't have, I didn't have anything that really I could articulate my reason as to why other than I just had to do it. So this was also challenging for them because they, they were looking for a more concrete answer. They were looking for, well, because 
don't know. Some, some logical. Yeah, something, yeah, something that they could wrap their head around that would make sense to them. So no, they didn't respond all too fabulously in the sense that there was a lot of concern, a lot of talk around how are we going to know that you're safe? How do we keep track of you? Um, you have to check in every couple days, you know, whatever it was and, and setting up plans to have some kind of communication tree. Should I be in places where I don't have access to communicate with them? Um, or if something did happen to me, how they would find out where I was. So we, again, logistics around all of it are really important to make a journey like that. And that was really critical for my parents just to feel some sense of, um, I don't want to say relief, but some just a little less anxiety around things so that they knew we had a plan in place should something happen. But otherwise everyone was excited for me too, you know, just, wow, Carol, that's awesome. And sounds really cool and better you than me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was the reaction. Okay. And how did you decide what to pack? Did you prepare in any ways or did you wait the clothes or I, I don't know. I, I never took a trip like that. I'm not <laughs> sure. What should I ask? Yeah. How, how to even begin? Yeah. Well, that's the other part of it. Yes. So the Camino de Santiago is the third largest pilgrimage out there behind Rome and Jerusalem. And it is the one of the few left that is still traveled its original way, which is basically on foot and you're carrying your belongings on your back. So I took a, a hiking bag, I took a, a backpack, 45 liter backpack. And again, I'm terrible because, uh, you know, in America, we, we operate in pounds and ounces. So I don't operate in grams or kilos and things like that. But my backpack was probably anywhere between 20 and 22 pounds. I had to be really specific about what I brought. This really hones in on need versus want, okay? And this type of journey, you really have to get down to the nitty gritty. So actually what was really cool about this process was my family did take part in helping me prepare for this because what I wound up doing was I, you know, a lot, I'd read in a lot of blogs and things that people would throw cans of soup or vegetables in their backpack just to hike with that to kind of get the feel of the weight on their shoulders to get prepared. So I started doing this in the summer before I left and the spring before I left, I should say spring and summer. And my family would go with me. So, you know, at the summertime, I would go to my parents' house down at the beach and we would white walk the length of the island or walk over the bridges and I would carry my backpack with me. My sisters walked with me. Uh, so this was good preparation and something that was fun. And then of course, I had to look at, again, all the recommendations out there about what are, what are the absolute essentials to have on a journey like this. And it comes down to a first aid kit, um, rain gear, a poncho, definitely not an umbrella. You cannot carry an umbrella. <laughs> I mean, you can, but it's really not practical. Um, shoes, hiking shoes, and then a second set of shoes, like sandals or something to kind of allow your feet to breathe at the end of the day and spread your toes out, if you will. Uh, some kind of shower shoes because you're showering in communal places. And then I had two pairs of pants, two shirts, one long sleeve shirt, a poncho, of course, like I said, for rain, a rain jacket. I brought three pairs of socks, 
two sports bras and three pairs of underwear and something to sleep in. And that was pretty much it. Oh, I should mention I had a towel, but I had like, you know, for showering, I had like one of those really small microfiber hiking towels that you take on a camping trip kind of thing that like squishes down to. I'm making gestures with my again. Like our listeners can see, but you know, really, really tiny towel that packs up really small, you know, because you've got to squeeze that in your bag. Uh, so yes, that's, that's pretty much the essentials of what I brought. And then along the route, you pick up your shampoo, your soaps, um, toothbrush, of course, obviously, but this is not the kind of trip that you bring a hair dryer. You don't drag out your makeup with you. You're not bringing your hair straightener. Uh, I didn't bring any jewelry. I wore, um, one pair of earrings because, you know, what is it that we say, you know, every woman goes out of the house and there's something she cannot live without. For me, it's earrings. Isn't that weird? You know, some women are like, I have to have eyeliner or I have to have yeah. lip gloss. Me, for me, it's earrings. I have to have earrings in my ears. So I had a really cheap pair of hoops, very small, tiny, tiny hoops that I wore the whole time. And um, yeah, that was it. That was it, man. Passport, cell phone, necessary ID and, you know, my bank card and some cash. But that was pretty much the whole shebang. And I unpacked and repacked multiple times. I can't even begin to tell you, unpacked and repacked so many times, tried to test the weight out, tried to see what would work best, changed a couple things up. I had one pair of hiking pants that I'd switched out for another because I could convert the other ones to shorts, which was helpful when it was really hot some days. So it was, it was definitely a process of unpack, repack, unpack, repack multiple times before I finally got it down to what I thought was going to be a manageable weight and a manageable amount of stuff in my bag. I have to say congratulations right now because <laughs> I'm thinking in my head, I would just quit in that moment. <laughs> I have to pack, unpack, repack. Oh, yeah, it, it would be, I think, too much for me. Yeah. But I think the whole process is really interesting to just like to decide from all the things we have. And I think sometimes we have maybe more things than we need. Absolutely. To choose really, really the basic ones. I, I think that's accomplishment by itself. Yeah. Yeah. Because it really does come down to, do I actually need this on yeah, my Yeah, exactly. Because is it something, you know, I went over with a very small bottle to start out because obviously I didn't know when I would arrive and whether there would be stores open and things like that. Spain is considered obviously a first world country. So I knew I'd be able to get to grocery stores or drug stores to pick up shampoo bottles and, and soap. But so I started out my journey with a very small amount and there's a dry soap out there. I think Lush makes a dry shampoo as well, actually. Not that I'm endorsing any stores or, or companies, but I, I actually did use their dry uh, toothpaste. They have toothpaste tabs and I did pick those up because it was just easier. You don't want yeah. all that liquid in your bag, number one, that weighs so much more. And number two, God forbid something leaks in the bag and then all of the stuff that you have for a six week journey, you, you got to work on cleaning and, and fixing. So um, yeah, again, you have to be really practical about what you carry. I did bring hiking poles as well though. I did bring uh, walking six hiking poles. 
Um, and I would highly recommend these because there are points on the journey that it just makes such a huge difference coming down some of those mountains on your knees to have the poles to help balance your, your personal weight out. And um, on rainy days as well, just gives you a little bit of extra balance, which is really helpful, stability, of course. And at the end of my journey, I actually just chose to leave my hiking poles in Santiago. So I didn't bring them back with me. I left them there. So they have something to remember you for. Absolutely. Oh, they've got plenty to remember me for. <laughs> I, I left a pair of shoes along the way. I mean, you kind of, it, it's this process of you donate them to the Camino, right? So there are plenty of people who start their journeys out and wind up buying different shoes because you don't realize blisters can get really, really bad depending on the right types of shoes you have and socks, of course. And sometimes there are pilgrims who don't mind just picking up somebody else's stuff along the route. So you leave them, sometimes at albergues, they have these sections of the hostels where you can just donate, quote unquote, to the Camino and people who wish to pick something up, they can. So um, yeah, people leave stuff all the time. Uh, that's a nice practice. Yeah. And I want to ask you, so every journey starts with uh, first step. And for you, how was your first step? Not maybe literally the first step, but the first day and everything when you eventually got there? Oh, it was exhausting. <laughs> I, I actually flew from Philadelphia to Madrid and then had to catch a train and two buses to get to the south of France, which is in an area, and forgive my French pronunciation, but the area is called Saint-Jean-Pierre-de-Port. And this is the start of the Camino Frances, which is one of the more popular routes to get to Santiago. Um, it starts in that location and you cross the Pyrenees Mountains into Spain and then you start along the northwestern coast. So I traveled 27 hours, which was, oy, oh my gosh, absolutely insane. And then I started walking the next day, which was a huge mistake. Don't do that, I advise right now just jet lag and I was dehydrated and I didn't have enough food or rest and huge, huge, huge mistake to start off climbing the Pyrenees after you just traveled 27 hours on planes, trains and automobiles. So it didn't work in my favor. But again, as I look at my entire journey, it was meant to be. So, you know, that's a whole nother story layer. But um, my first steps were landing in Madrid, which was really, really awkward. And of course, you do see pilgrims, you recognize the people who are there to literally walk the Camino, you can start picking them out of a crowd. And we're, we look like the disheveled ones. I mean, we're still clean and all because we haven't started <laughs> yet. Um, but you can tell the people who are about to go walk this journey. And uh, yeah, so I had to kind of work my way through my Spanish and use my translator from time to time to see where I needed to go and what buses I had to catch and so forth. But that was the start of it. And I met a gentleman from South Korea and a woman from Spain on the bus who were also headed to, starting, to the starting point. And we got to talking. They spoke English very well. And we had a nice little chat and arrived in Saint-Jean-Pierre-de-Port where it was pouring down rain when I got there and had to go and get my pilgrim's passport, which is also a necessary document if you plan to walk the Camino and uh, check in and find a place to sleep for the night before I started out on the next morning with my official first step. Okay, and it's um six weeks journey. Yes, and... it, it took me six weeks about, yeah. 
and I'm pretty sure you have a lot of stories. And as we talked earlier, I proposed Carol, she writes a book because <laughs> I really think it's a story that should be like uh, written down forever somewhere. Uh, so maybe one day, hopefully. Maybe one day, maybe one day. And that day we will hear all the stories, but until then, can you just share maybe like a couple of stories or just one funniest moment, scariest moment or anything you want exactly? Out of there, yeah. There's definitely, like you said, there are a tremendous amount of stories from that journey that I have and happy to share them. But of course, yeah, we're trying to keep our podcast episodes a little <laughs> shorter. And, and people, I just a second, members, if you are listening to this and non-members, of course, also, uh, just catch Carol anywhere. If you see her, ask her everything. <laughs> it's not a yeah. problem. I'm but for the podcast sakes, we have to keep it short. Yeah, we'll keep it short. But yes, of course, our listeners probably know I am a talker. So I have no problem telling all my stories with respect to my journey. But yeah, one of the best ones was a lot of fun one night, halfway point. I got to the midway point uh, to Santiago, halfway there. And it's in an area called Sahagún. And I stayed at an albergue there where the owner was, of course, a local Spanish man. And... He was a lot of fun. He didn't speak any English. So we worked through, uh, again, my little knowledge of Spanish and my translator to find a bed for the evening. And lo and behold, three folks showed up a little bit after me that were from the Netherlands. And they were actually doing the Camino on their bikes, which is another now way that you can do the Camino. Um, so they had showed up and they got a bed as well. They got beds as well. And that night we just happened to connect and start talking and we wound up having dinner together and we were sitting in the restaurant of the albergue. There was a little, very small, like two or three tables. So I really probably shouldn't call it a restaurant, maybe more like a guest house area. Um, and we started talking and laughing and singing and there was a guitar hanging on the wall. So the one gentleman grabbed the guitar off the wall and started playing. And then the owner from Spain came over and here we are three Dutch, a Spaniard and an American singing John Mellencamp songs from America and laughing our heads off. And we just had the best time that night. Total strangers didn't know each other from anything. And just had an awesome night. We were probably up till one in the morning, <laughs> which is also a little crazy when you plan to walk, you know, 20 or 30 kilometers the next day, but it was great. That was an actual really, really fun night. And there are tons of them like that, but that one stands out for sure. Um, and then um, maybe a little bit of a scary story or a, a story that was a little, probably when I got sick would be the more, uh, concerning point along the journey. I had gotten, I, I was probably 10 days away from finally finishing and I landed a miserable virus. Um, it might've been Corona before Corona. <laughs> you were the patient zero. It was, I might've been patient zero on the Camino. It was a mess. It was awful. I had a fever. I had a terrible cough. Uh, it got really bad that the local clinic where I was sent me back to the main city uh, hospital, which I had already passed through a couple days before. And they sent me back there because they said, no, we're concerned about, you know, some of your symptoms and stuff, go back to the hospital. They're better equipped. So I had to take a taxi to the hospital and wait and then be seen by a doctor. What I will say is really cool. 
the doctor didn't speak any English, but they had, he worked with a um, telephone system that he had an earbud and then he gave me an earbud and he spoke and there was a translator on the line. He spoke in and the translator spoke English and Spanish. And then when he spoke, she would take everything down and then she would ask me the questions. And then I would state back what my symptoms were and what I was feeling. And she would translate them back in Spanish to the doctor, which was really kind of cool. It, made it a lot easier. But that was scary because I was completely alone by myself. The people who I had met at that point along the way, of course, had to keep going. You know, everyone is on their own journey. So I couldn't stop them and say, please go with me. So um, <clears throat> I was by myself in a hospital somewhere in the middle of Spain and feeling really, really lousy. So that was uh, incredibly disappointing and discouraging. And yeah, a little scary at times because of course, I didn't know what was going on and there was a lot happening around me that I couldn't make sense of. So um, ultimately it wound up being thankfully nothing majorly serious, but it knocked me down for a good four days. So I had to stay. I, I took a taxi back to the pension where I wound up staying for the next four days in a room by myself upstairs from, um, yeah, from just even a few weeks away from finishing and I, I had to stop. But again, that's another story layer. But yeah, that was probably one of the more scary points for me. So I can only imagine how difficult it was because I'm, I'm picturing myself right now somewhere else alone in a country which language I cannot understand and much like our ex yeah yes right <laughs> and when you were talking about these earbuds i was like hmm, yeah interesting yeah, yeah it yeah. would be useful sometimes yeah, yeah. but uh, obviously everything worked out great and you are here with us so i i presume there are some lessons you learned along the way sure and maybe you can share some things that really really stood up to you and the, the most important lessons the big learned on that journey. Yeah. yeah, the big takeaways. I, I There were tons of things, of course, that I learned along the journey and along the way and lessons that will stay with me forever, of course. And th these are probably those lessons. And then, of course, there's several others tacked on top of that just based on the different experiences I had from start to finish. But anyway, I, I jotted down because I knew we said we would talk about some lessons learned. So I did jot down some of the biggies. And the first one would be remain open. Just when you, you know, the biggest thing about the Camino is everyone says it's, it's a, a journey that mimics life, right? You know, you're, you're taking this journey for some, they don't make it as a spiritual pilgrimage. They do it because of the thrill of the hike and they want to tackle, you know, walking 800 kilometers. So I met several people along the way that were doing it for varieties of reasons, a variety of reasons. And, but no matter what we in our conversations, as I spoke with other people, we all agreed, no matter the reason we were walking, we definitely felt that the way was a symbol of life, was a parallel, if you will. So these lessons can be used in life and, and that's exactly what they were, not only on the way, but certainly when the journey continues, when you finish in Santiago. 
So you, you have to remain open, right? That, that was my first thing. Be open, number one, to the idea of going. And then, of course, when I was there, remaining open to what was going to be presented to me every day. And for me, that was having a spiritual connection and saying, okay, I'm open to whatever you want to show me. And I'm, I'm open to whoever you put in the path today and whoever I'm supposed to meet and where I'm supposed to go. So that was lesson number one, remaining open to anything and everything that is supposed to happen. Lesson two, talk to others. I know that this is not an easy thing for everyone. There are many people that I know, friends and family alike, that say they struggle with just going up and talking to people. But even if it's a struggle for you, I really strongly encourage you to try it because when you're in a journey like this, um, it's, it's getting to know other people's stories that we find the connection amongst ourselves. And those connections are what bring us together. It unifies us because we realize that although we come from different parts of the world and have different backgrounds and, and life experiences, we're a lot more alike than we realize. And it gives us a chance to realize our similarities and it gives us a chance to acknowledge our really special, unique differences and be excited about those things. So talk to people, get to know people, open up a conversation, open up a dialogue. And yeah, that, that was another big lesson I learned as well. Um, third one, be patient with setbacks. So, Setbacks are inevitably going to happen. And for me along the way, they definitely did. I had a number of challenges, not just getting sick, but I definitely suffered from blisters. That was a real issue. I had some banking problems along the route. I had a money situation towards the end. Setbacks are gonna occur no matter what we do. We can't control them. So you have to really find a way to be patient with yourself and be patient with the circumstances and let them play out. You don't really know what that will lead to. So be willing to let your patience grow in those moments to let the setback kind of work itself out. Fourth would be, this is a big one. Learn how to accept the kindness of strangers. This was so prevalent on the Camino, so unbelievably just pronounced, you saw it so much more than I think we actually recognize it in real life, in everyday life. When I got sick, for example, and I was back and forth to this hospital and came back to this pension, the woman who owned the pension, there were seven rooms in the place and I was staying in the very top room. Um, her name was Pilar and that woman took care of me like my own mother would have cared for me when I was sick. When I came back from the hospital from the taxi ride, she paid for the taxi, she gave me this huge hug, and I was bawling my eyes out when I walked in the door, and she's wiping the tears from my face, literally. And she didn't speak any English, and so she's saying things all in Spanish, and she's just telling me it's gonna be okay, it's gonna be okay. Um, she walked me upstairs, she took my dirty laundry, she cleaned my clothes, she made me food, she brought me tea, she gave me her phone number and told me to call her in the middle of the night if I needed something. And it was, it was unbelievable. So, and here's this woman, complete and total stranger to me, 
I simply went into her pension at one o'clock in that afternoon when I first arrived there asking for a room and then asked where the medical clinic was because I was sick and the rest was she took care of it. So it, it was unbelievable. And that, that was the that was the person who really made me feel so much better in that moment where I was obviously very scared to be by myself and, and so forth. So we have to learn to accept the kindness of strangers. There are good people in the world, really good people. And when we allow them to come forth and care for us, they show up in big ways. So that was, that was a huge lesson for me, for sure. And the last one, kind of a combination of two, I should say, I wrote down, you know, have fun. You have to find a way to have fun. You really have to find a way to enjoy the journey. So you can't rush the process. When I first arrived in Madrid, I was hurrying up all over the place to get on this train and these buses to get myself there so that I could start walking. I wanted to start immediately. And I wanted to get in Santiago like within two or three days. And realistically, obviously that was never going to happen. But I, I was pushing, pushing, pushing to get done because I kept looking at it as a task, as a destination to get to, instead of recognizing I was there for the purpose of taking this journey. I was called to be there. I responded, I followed. Now I need to follow the process as well. And so it was my Camino family who were a group of people that I met uh, in my first week that I was there on the journey that wound up teaching me this valuable lesson of finding ways to enjoy it. I didn't have to get to each destination, destination point at the end of each day. I didn't have to make 26 kilometers every single day. It wasn't necessary to do that. Yes, set benchmarks, of course, because that's important. But if you don't hit them, you don't have to crush yourself over it. And you have to recognize that if you don't hit them, what perhaps entered your path that you should have taken notice of a little bit more. There were so many points that if I was really not paying close enough attention, I would have missed so much along that way. So yeah, you have to have fun and enjoy the journey and you have to allow the day to provide whatever it's meant to provide to you and experience that. So that was my last big one. And they are all beautiful. <laughs> I have to <laughs> say you. really, really powerful lessons. And as you said, I think each of them is really applicable to everyday life. We, we don't have to apply them all all the time but no. we can just maybe take one and why wouldn't we today be opened to everything that will happen right. why wouldn't me wouldn't we smile to a stranger or start a talk with somebody in the grocery store or something like that i think you're on to something carol <laughs> I, I really love your lessons and I hope our listeners will find something for themselves also. I hope so too. I hope so. And too. I would like to ask you if you had to, and you have to because I'm asking you now, <laughs> um, <laughs> to describe this journey, this whole journey in just one sentence. Oh. Take your time, but not too much time because we are on schedule here. Well, but, you know what, yeah. you, you actually, it was something that you said that really stuck out to me when I was telling you about my, my Camino and you had mentioned that this, this, this journey was like an anchor 
for me. It's an anchor. And of course, I'm not always going to stay connected to the anchor because we go off and we, you know, venture out in different ways and so on and so forth. But it's a place that I can always come back to and recall the lessons, the memories, the excitement, the fun, the trials, the struggles. Um, it's it's definitely that that's probably the best way I could describe it in a sentence. And thank you because you were the one who did that. Um, it's an anchor for me. It, it's an it's a journey that will always remain a transformational journey in my life and something that I can always go back to. I'm, I'm thank you for for using my words. Uh, I really do believe that um, we all should have some anchors in our lives. Yeah. Just to be grounded sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, once again, thanks for sharing your story, sharing your experience and uh, your learned lessons. And I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope our listeners enjoyed too. I'm pretty sure they, they will find something for themselves. They will find uh, some parts interesting or useful. Maybe somebody is going on a journey on, it, on its own. And maybe somebody will find some practical tips. Maybe somebody will find some deeper sense in everything, but yeah, thank you. And would you like to wrap this interview up? Sure, I'll wrap it up, I'll bring it home. So thank you again for listening. Andrea, thank you for wanting to know more and asking questions about my, my journey. Uh, as we are winding down the end of the month of January. We have a couple of exciting events coming up in the next few weeks. Keep an eye out on our website, iwagratz.org. Make sure you check out the calendar. Please stay up to date as well on any new restrictions. Things, of course, are changing week to week as we see. Uh, make sure that you've got your necessary documentation as you're out and about. And stay healthy, stay safe. And we will be back with a special guest in our next episode. So keep listening. We are excited to share some more fun examples of living in Graz and ways that our folks in our group and our partner sister group in AWA in Vienna have made their journeys exciting as well. So yes, we're excited to do that. But until next time, enjoy Graz. Bis später. Tschüss.